Good morning. It's good to be back. I've been on sabbatical for over the last month. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about that sabbatical and kind of some of the things that I went through and some of the things that I learned. Next week, going to look at the birth of Jesus. But today, we're going to get back into the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. And it's here in this sermon that Jesus, the eternal King, has shown us the way to to live a life within the kingdom of heaven and what all of that means. And while this sermon has primarily been given to disciples, he also has had his eye on those who have been watching from the outside. And so here, as he concludes the Sermon on the Mount, he gives these warnings. And he warns the disciple that they need to examine themselves to make sure that they truly are members of the kingdom of heaven and not just in profession only. He warns those who are outside of the kingdom that they need to consider who they follow. Will they follow him or are they going to follow the religious leaders of the day? And then he warns the religious leaders of their guilt in leading the people in the wrong direction. And so Jesus, as he gets ready to conclude this lesson, he gives us a series of twos to help us make a decision, as he did those in the crowd that day. One of the most important questions for humanity, are you with Jesus or against him? And so we begin with these narrow and broad gates and roads. We start in verse 13. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. There is a phrase that has become popular in our culture over this past year. It's cancel culture. And the idea is that a person or even a community of people would be, would try to be canceled by social or even professional circles. It's people that they would disagree with. It could be morally. It could be theoretically or systematically, religiously politically. And it's a form of manipulation to try to force people to believe a certain way, to think a certain way. And it's true that we as Christians, we must call out the darkness, but that's all with the hope that we would remove a speck from someone's eye that they might have greater sight But the cancel culture is not interested in removing specks. They're wanting to remove people. The golden rule is not something that they live by. It's about making you agree with the way they think you should agree and to accept the things they want you to accept. And the truth is, it's an easier way. You might even be considered a hero You don't have to do your own thinking. You don't have to use common sense. All of those things are already determined for you. But cancel culture is not something that 
has begun in 2020. Ever since Christianity came on the scene, there are those who tried to cancel followers of Jesus from the face of the earth. Read your New Testaments. See the choices that they made and and read over history. And, And I think even today in our own history of Christians who have to decide, will I suffer for Jesus? There is a radical contrast that happens between those who are believers and their past lives. In 1 Peter chapter 4, in verses 3 and 4, he says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. Now, these are immoral behaviors, but Christians, they were also looked down upon and and persecuted for the fact that they believe that Jesus is the only Savior of the world, such as in Acts chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. The Sermon on the Mount is filled with unpopular beliefs about anger and lust and divorce and vengeance and, and, and loving your enemies and not storing up treasures on earth. We walk a narrow road. We enter through a narrow gate. We hold to a higher belief on things such as the sanctity of life, not just a life that is in the womb, but even the elderly person who has maybe little quality in life. We care for the poor and the immigrant, whether that immigrant is legal or illegal. We are greatly concerned about the preservation of God's good world. We care about uh, and, and we offer forgiveness to people who wrong us we have a completely different idea of what a sexual sin is in our culture and what it is to God. And as Peter says, non-believers, they're surprised that we don't go along with their way of thinking. They're shocked. Speak to our young adults and teenagers who may be listening, and that is I understand how difficult it is to want to be accepted by your peer group. I think you probably have it much harder than I did, even when I was a teenager. And following Jesus, you may not be popular. You may not be, you may not be asked to several things. Jesus is asking you to do something that's difficult. But those things that you're so afraid of, they're temporary. Jesus is offering you eternity. And for those of us who are adults, we need to be setting the example for our young people. And despite the pain that we might feel because we may reject a certain idea or activity, those things are only temporary. We might even lose our jobs. We might lose friendships. But those are temporary. What Jesus is offering us is eternity. Reject the broad road. But rejecting a certain belief or even lifestyle is not the same as rejecting a person. 
we still love and serve the very people that we disagree with. We also acknowledge our own imperfections, the planks that protrude from our own eyes. We don't follow the narrow road that we may look down upon others. We are not justified by our own goodness. In Luke 18, we see these two prayers between a tax collector and a Pharisee. Go and read it and ask yourself, which one did Jesus say was justified? And being narrow-minded is not the same as being on the narrow road either. There's so much more that we have to learn. I'm in this every day, and I, I continue to learn more and more about, about God and about Jesus and the Holy Spirit and about what, what the way I should live my life. It, and so we need to be like the noble Bereans of Acts chapter 17 who searched the Scriptures daily to see if this new teaching of Paul and Silas was from God or not. Our whole life is based upon study and prayer and seeking the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus walked the narrow road, and that's why we follow him. We follow him into the water, such as in, in Matthew 3, verses 15 through 16. It's, it's why we worship together with with those who are followers of God, as was a custom of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. It's why we care for the downtrodden. It's why we love our enemies, just as Jesus did on the cross, and why we serve those that we know is going to, to betray us and, and deny us, as did his own disciples, and yet he washed their feet. The more we discover about Jesus, the more we should seek to try to do everything we can to live like him. But it is not the popular way, and it is going to be difficult. Jesus also talks about true and false prophets. We continue on, and in verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, we often think of a prophet as being someone who tells the future. And sometimes they did, but mostly prophets were made up of men and women who were given a message to deliver to individuals or groups of people. On the narrow road, disciples, he says, are to watch out for these false prophets because they seem genuine. They speak on behalf of God, and yet they are like wolves, devouring prey. Disciples, and in all of this, in the Sermon on the Mount, we've got to learn to be balanced people. 
we always have to be careful of the extremes. And so we are not to judge others, as you learned a couple of weeks ago, but at the same time, now we learn we are not to naively accept them either. And so it's something that we must continue to listen to what they say and yet examine their lives (coughs) as well. Do they bear the fruit of the Spirit or do they live the life of the flesh? Is their works consistent with the kingdom life that Jesus has laid out before us? Jesus demonstrated the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of their day and time. They undermined the heart of God and the very intent of the law. They were more interested in looking godly than they were in actually being godly. They were the most influential upon the people of the day, and yet they did not call them to repentance. When the kingdom of heaven arrived, they tried to trap Jesus and undercut Jesus. Listen very carefully. Any religious leader who devalues Jesus as the only way to God and to eternal life is false. 1 John 2, verse 22. Jesus is the true vine from which fruit flows in our lives. Real fruit is found from the Spirit of God that dwells in us, the fruit of the Spirit as Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of, of good works, Colossians chapter 1 and verse, in, um, in uh, Colossians chapter 1 and in verse 10, real fruit is found in the Spirit who helps us to walk along this narrow road as Romans chapter 8, 4, and 5 teach us. And yet, we must also beware of teachers who say, God has spoken to my heart about something that is in opposition to the very words of Jesus, to the very word of God. I do believe that God speaks to the heart but not when it goes against these things. In fact, Paul, in in writing this great chapter on the Spirit in Romans 8, he even says in verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. They promote an easier and broad road. And usually it has to do with worldly thinking whether it be on matters of sexuality or materialism or vengeance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they promote a broad gate that is based upon a human goodness for salvation. They speak of a way that that is always about making me happy rather than a way that is completely surrendered to Christ. So Jesus says, beware. But then I notice the true and false disciples. Beginning in verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? 
and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. A false disciple confesses Jesus as Lord, and yet they have not truly repented. Entrance to the kingdom is reserved for those who will do the will of my Father who is in heaven. And no one exemplified this greater than Jesus himself, which is why we follow him. Evidently, some even had the power in Jesus' name to do some mighty works, but it was meaningless to their eternal destiny. You see, Jesus demands an inward allegiance to God's will which will produce fruit of a changed life and and not a mere outward traditions and laws that we sometimes just continue to build and feeling that we're righteous. In chapter 13, Jesus is going to give a parable of the soil and of the seed. And in one of those, he says in verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This virus is going to be a test for some. There will be those who will never return because they do not have the faith and commitment that it took in a time of absence. They will find themselves along a broader road for some who will be content with merely an online ministry and not coming back to the messiness that we sometimes find within a Christian family and community. Some will find it easier to do nothing at all He goes on, though, in that same parable, and he says, As for those of what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. It's competing priorities that we find here. The rich young ruler becomes a chilling example to us, despite the fact that he was following all of these moral laws. They want to manage their lives apart from God. They want to find solutions in in worldly resources, in worldly people, in governments. And so Jesus goes on in verse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understand it, and he indeed bears this great crop. The true disciple allows the gospel to take root in their life. This fruit of the Spirit and good works that we spoke of, a transformation that is described in the Sermon on the Mount, a life that goes beyond laws such as thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not commit adultery, and it goes deeper to someone who does not harbor anger and someone who does not lust after others. Is someone who can love and pray for their enemies. Is someone who's willing to forgive others their trespasses as they, as God has forgiven them their trespasses. 
Oh, we should read the Sermon on the Mount. Often, often in our lives, we ought to pray the disciples' prayer every day, maybe even multiple times a day, so that the hallowed name of the Father would be brought, that the will of heaven will be brought to the earth. Commit yourself to Jesus' kingdom life. And then finally, wise and foolish builders. Verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Some of you remember growing up as I did, you know, the wise man built his house upon the rock and the foolish man built his house upon the sand. This is more than a children's song that is being given here. It is a call for you and I to make a decision. Am I for Jesus or am I against him? This was the perfect illustration here by the Sea of Galilee because in the summer, the really hot summer, then the sand would become very hard. But the wise builder is not fooled by such a thing. In fact, he would dig sometimes as much as 10 feet into the sand to get to the bedrock so that when the winter rains came and the Jordan River began to pour into the Sea of Galilee and and flood over its banks, it would stand. But the ones that was built upon the sand for foundation, it says it would be destroyed. Foolish person chooses the easy, the easy way. The shifting sands of human thought, which does not answer human humanity's deepest needs. The wise disciple chooses Jesus's words for the very foundation for their lives, but it is the unpopular way. Another popular song we sing is my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. But he doesn't, but as we conclude, I want us to notice the crowds. When Jesus finished those saying, the crowds were astonished at his teachings. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. They are amazed by Jesus, but Jesus doesn't simply want us to be amazed and go away. He wants us to make a decision for him. He wants us to come out of the crowds and become his disciples. Jesus' final words, if you notice here, they are tragic. Floods come, the winds blow, destroys a house. Maybe not the way we would have thought the Sermon of the Mount would have ended. And it's not the way Jesus always ended his teachings, for sure. But on this occasion with the mixed crowds, 
Jesus believed this is the way it should end. Because for disciples, they must think about the very lives that they live. Are they truly disciples of Jesus or simply in profession? Because it has consequences. We one day will give an account. Those who Jesus is now inviting to come into the kingdom of heaven, that we realize it has eternal consequences. And for religious leaders such as myself, we must ask ourselves if our own pious hypocrisy is leading ourselves and the crowds in the wrong direction to eternal destruction. He's showing us here that the time on earth has eternal consequences, that the way we live our lives is important. Are you with Jesus or against him? Let's pray. Dear Father, we come to you this day and we thank you so much for your son. Father, we thank you for the way that he has brought before us. We thank you, Father, for the gift that we have in your son. And Father, while we know that we're not perfect, Father, help us to always strive to live for you. Father, we pray that your spirit will continue to lead us and guide us in the right way and that we will always try to make the right decisions. Father, I pray for those who may be listening and they're trying to make some serious commitments themselves and they know this is a difficult path. Father, help them to realize the eternity that you that is awaiting them if they will come to you. Father, I pray for this church. I pray for those who are suffering. I pray for those who are struggling. Father, I just ask you to bring a blessing upon them. But Father, we are so grateful for the gift that we have this day in Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.